Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I am joined by author Bethany C. Morrow to talk about her latest book, Cherish Farah. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. I am so excited to have you here uh, because I read this book I got it as an arc in December and it's a book that I just need to talk to other people about. Like I remember I read it and I'm like, so what do we what do we all think, guys? And where where is everyone? I need to know. <laughs> where is the support group? Who's talking about it? I know. I'm like, I have a lot of feelings and thoughts I need to process. And I'm like looking through Goodreads, like, um, okay, I'll sit with these for two more months, I guess. <laughs> So for listeners who are not aware, can you tell us a little bit uh, about Cherish Vera? Yes, I will tell you the story that you think you're reading before you know the story. Um, so Cherish Vera is about, well, it's from the perspective, it's from the POV of a 17-year-old girl named Farah, who in her own words is cosplaying a teenage girl. So it should become pretty obvious pretty quickly that she has a budding psychopathy and is not, uh, is not, a normal is not a normal person period but it's not a normal teenage girl and she is one of two black girls in a very white country club community the other of whom is her best friend cherish but cherish is a transracial adoptee and so she's being raised by white parents who are very progressive and very aware socially aware and um they have been mindful of of you know the just the different needs that um that cherish would have as a black girl so like they have a, a black pediatrician she's a black orthodontist um they're aware of and and acknowledging of things like uh, medical racism and all the different all the different onslaughts all the different um, attacks that black women experience in our society and they've sort of tried to set up um you know they've tried to set up um a world where those things don't harm cherish um but because they're a white, extremely affluent family, they also have raised her with a level of privilege that is not meant for Black girls. Um, it's completely divorced from an awareness and understanding, honestly, of, of what it is actually to be uh, in to be Black in the United States, which is more about how society treats you um, than anything else. And so she has this kind of like incompetence and sort of... Um, void in her that Farah, the other, the only other black girl in the community um, can see. And because of the type of person that Farah is, it's also something that she knows immediately she uniquely can fill and that can, that can make cherish hers. And so they have a very um, actually sort of typical teenage girl relationship in terms of the level of intimacy and the level of toxicity potentially and someone today actually described it as a cruel type of intimacy um it's very needing of constant affirmation and constant um proving and you just always have to sort of like re-up this commitment of loyalty and and that we are the most important people in each other's lives even though it doesn't seem to be under um attack by anyone in their lives like every, everyone seems to grasp that they are the most important people to each other, but they, you know, within this dynamic, they just have this um, this need to constantly be reaffirming it and constantly just re-upping their commitment to it. I loved that aspect, this like <laughs> toxic female friendship that, I mean, 
is very much its own thing, but seems like so relatable. You know, you have that friend you just like live over at their house and like their parents are essentially your parents at this point. And the like enmeshment that goes on on just so many levels, I really liked. And I mean, it is the one of the central parts of the novel. So it was. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's interesting because when you look at what happens in this book and how troubling this particular dynamic is, I think a lot of people will sort of color outside the line and attribute a lot of it to this type of relationship. And what I'm trying to say is like, no, this type of relationship is very common. Um, particularly when you think about what, how we treat teenage girls, um, it's not shocking that, um, you know, when you're speaking as someone who was a teenage girl, when you're, the world is constantly like diminishing and, um, just overlooking any of what you go through, what your needs are. Um, there's no sort of like uh, valuation of your lived experience or anything. You're constantly being, and if, if teenage girls like something, forget it. That thing is just completely a joke. And, and oh my gosh. you know, so, so of course, in a, in a world and a time where you're the only people who value each other properly, of course you would have these very intense um like you said, this enmeshing, this like almost refusal to to not be fused together. Everybody, you know, even if you didn't have that friend in high school or junior high, as far as what I could see, when when girls didn't have that person, they were very envious of those of those friendships. Um, everybody wanted to belong in a in a really intense, you know committed relationship like that and that's why I think it's funny that we show so much about romantic love in high school and junior high because I'm like that's not the most interesting relationship happening right now <laughs> no absolutely not I would like to think we're getting a bit a bit more of like you know here's the story about like my best girlfriend things like pen 15 and stuff like that. Uh, absolutely I just I want to I want as usual, when you have a lack of, when you have a lack of representation, the first representation always has to be perfect, like always has to be edifying, always has to be healthy, always has to oh, correct yeah. toward. And I'm like, that's not it. That's, that's not, not for approach. That's not, yeah. That's not the, that's not the relationship I'm talking about. <laughs> Cherish fair is the relationship I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love what you said. Yeah. About being a teenage girl and like what a tough spot that is. And I mean, that also kind of paired with who Farah is, I think also kind of lends her like her need for control. Her her need for control is is just her psychopathy. And if anything, she plays on the expectation and the limited understanding um, of teenage girls that the majority of society has. Um, it shouldn't be so easy for her to fake it. I'll put it that way. Given the kind of person she actually is, should not be so easy but if people are all always underestimating this demographic and you're and you're never taking them seriously like you might even miss a psychopath like <laughs> you might not notice um that she is acting she is not she is not the same as cherish she was such a fascinating character and for it to be you know, our you know first person POV character was such an interesting reading experience. So how was it like writing that? Oh gosh, it was very claustrophobic. 
because you can't get away from her and tell the story. Um, and it's not, I would say more than claustrophobic, it's honestly exhausting because she's always, even if, I won't say if this ever actually happens in the story, but even if there were no ulterior motives, even if there were no chess game being played, she would not know that. She would not believe that. She's always turning every situation over 17 times, looking for cracks, looking for motives, looking, you know, so that's all the time, you know, every, every interaction, no matter who it is, it could be her own mother, that she's always doing that. So you have to really go with her in that you have to, you know, you have to, you have to approach the world the same way she does. You don't have to see the world the same way she does, but to write her, you have to approach the world the same way she does. So um, it's exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, as exhausting as I imagine it is to be her, like we get in the early chapters, how she kind of uses uh, cherish as this gauge to like what is normal how how am I supposed to act oh she's doing that okay cherish cherish is the canary so it's I I will just and that's why she's so valuable um to Farah is because she's not just not just the canary but that's a big part of it but it's also like I said that she has this Farah shaped hole uniquely because of the way she's been raised, because of this society that we're in. Um, and there's no there's no surviving without Farah. Yeah. Another thing I liked was kind of when Farah has to deal with the realities of privilege. Like you said, they're both in this like private school, but in the book, like Farah's family like loses everything. Um, in this very public way and in the book she says you know like other people had like quote-unquote lost everything but they had other things to fall back on and like now I'm realizing like when we lost everything everything is everything everything is everything whenever when other people when people with um, institutional generational wealth lose everything they mean their luxuries it doesn't mean homes home can't be lost it doesn't mean, you know, it's, there's always something to move into that, you know, and whether it's embarrassing is different from actually losing everything. There are tears to things. Um, and for a Black American family in the country and the world as it literally exists, work has been done and constantly um, mediated to make sure that there is no accruing of generational wealth. And so it's really easy to to um, to kind of isolate um, affluent black people also because you realize that like you don't have a community in this space. If you lose, you lose. And yeah. for a lot of uh, a lot of the time, one of the reasons that you can't accrue, let's say, equity is because you're responsible for other members, other family members, extended family in a way that um, white Americans don't have to be because they can all accrue generational wealth, right? So coming face to face with the fact that there's no platform from which you can't fall all the way back down is like, oh, it's built this way for a reason. Like this is intentional. You're intentionally, you intentionally only gave me as much as you could take back. (sighs) And that's, that doesn't work for Farah. No. 
Well, yeah, I, I kind of love the the whole idea that she's, you know, very much getting on her parents. Like, well, what are you doing to get us back into this house? Like, what is our what is our game plan here? Well, and, and that, it, that's all about, you know, she doesn't she doesn't care. Like her mom tells us she didn't love the house. She always, you know, she wants what she wants. Um, she loves it now because it was hers and it's, you don't get to take things from her. So she's asking these like totally irrational demands. Um, and you know, with a, you know, she has a complete lack of empathy. So with, with no concern for, well, if you feel this destabilized, is it possible that your, your parents also feel destabilized? But her next thought is what do I get? What am I in control of now? How do I get control back? And that's all, that's all that matters to her. So it doesn't matter how it makes her parents feel. It doesn't matter what, and that's not uh, being an entitled spoiled person. That's something's wrong with this person. Like she does not, because these are the closest, these are ostensibly the closest relationships you have. And she's completely incapable of, of seeing and believing and caring, I guess, about how situations are impacting anybody but her because she's not concerned. <laughs> She was just, I'm telling you, just so interesting. Like I highlighted so much. I'm like you are. I love her. <laughs> I, I mean, she's she is probably like my favorite um, because she's so she's so uncompromising. Mm -hmm. It's very I, you. It is whether you like it or not. It's very easy to understand her worldview and her logic because it's very consistent. Yeah, that's what I was gonna, <laughs> yeah, extremely consistent. Uh, I also liked. Speaking of the mothers, uh, kind of Brianna and Nicole, and Brianne being Cherish's adopted mother and Nicole, like, I think even in this space where um, Nicole loses everything, she can't go to Brianne. Like, she's also not there supporting her in a way. And in a way, she's kind of parroting this rhetoric. Like, yeah, like, I, you know, I see it with Black families. They lose this generational wealth. And she, like, knows the problem, but isn't there to be... A support system for her well because what do you do when how good and progressive can you be while you're actively benefiting mm -hmm. from the same system that is doing this and the way that you're benefiting is literally because of what is denied me that's the actual reality so not desiring to dismantle your own privilege there's only so much you can offer someone right and it's going to mm -hmm. sound very fake and it's going to sound very um it's going to sound it's going to sound very trite because you are you are literally profiting from the system that is doing this to me and i'm supposed to give you credit because you see it mm -hmm. i've seen it compared to you know jordan peele's get out and i do see it in that like you know, progressive, you know, white liberalism only goes so far. Like we need to go a little deeper. Well, really, I think what both, what both Get Out and, and Cherish Farah talk about, because they are both social horror, of course, um, they both have the similar, and I can't obviously tell you why they're similar without ruining things. But um, the thing is, it's not, it's to tell you the evil of white liberal progressivism. It's not to say it's not going far enough. It's to tell you that it's sinister. There's there's nothing but eradication. There's nothing but there's nothing but dismantling the system that would prove you get it. 
So like all of these sort of surface, it's like, it's like Brienne cornrowing her daughter's hair and having taken a class to learn to do that. And still everything else that you come to find is true in the story, right? So Mm -hmm. it's very much a, and, you know, obviously if you actually, if you're familiar with any of my other work, if you're familiar with um, A Song Below Water, again, um, it's very, very apparent that this progressive city, it's because it's based in uh, Portland, Oregon, and it's um, both the most like progressive city, but it's also like the whitest city. Um, so how are the, what, what do you think these two things mean that these two things can both be true? Yeah. Um, and, and why is this supposed to be, why is this supposed to make me feel better when I can see how complicit and, and sometimes actively engaged in my terrorization this is? Um, so it really, it very much is an indictment of, of this, uh, of this progressiveness because it's it's fake yeah you're right i did have since we're running out of time i had a question from a patreon supporter who jocelyn who wanted to know what your inspiration was for the story i can't tell you because it's the it's the the, uh the twist (laughs) (laughs) that's where you know that's that's yeah started was the twist so I know I get that I do I get that question I get that question and I'm like I wish I could tell you but it would spoil it yeah it would ruin everything I know and uh, you really have to go into it not knowing the twist a tradition we have on the podcast is to ask what is a chilling obsession or something in horror or horror adjacency that you've been enjoying in pop culture lately so um I don't know what it's considered actually i know that it's based on a novel and i haven't read the novel and i actually had to slow down in watching the show because it did get more just uncomfortable um actually just just the disquiet that it creates but i was watching station 11 and i so i'm not finished with it but i um the first episode to me was so was so powerful because it did something that I just absolutely love. And then of course it's totally different for the rest of the episodes, but the first episode is the moment before and then the moment of the world ending basically when you don't know that that's going to happen and and it looks startlingly familiar. And so this, um, and we're going, you know, we're living through a pandemic. So you're going through that, that phenomenon of watching you know something's wrong, but you can't tell something's wrong. Like, I know something's wrong. I don't feel right. And I know factually, I know these things are happening, but the world outside my window looks exactly the same. So it's that, um, I mean, that's devastating. That creates like this, you know, usually like something like on we and people who I can't reconcile the familiarity of the situation with the gravity of the situation. And I, and it focused really closely on character. And it was just, I've watched that first episode so many times, even though I haven't finished the series, because <laughs> it's just, I think it's so brilliantly done. It's so good. It's so, so good. Um, but we'll see if I, if I can finish it anytime soon. <laughs> it, I finished it a few days ago. It is very emotional. Like I cried watching it quite a few times it's beautiful beautiful but heavy yeah so love that station 11 i also like the book it's a it's a bit different but i like that about adaptations adaptations Mm -hmm. are supposed to be different (laughs) (laughs) 
I, yeah, I think I'm a little lenient on that. And I do like the way it's going. And I think they've, for the better, and they've kind of tapped into a different thing with the changes. So I'm here for that. Well, the other tradition we have here on the show is to ask all of our guests what their final girl song would be. So I actually have an answer for this. And you will have to forgive me if I don't say this person's name right, because I don't. I wasn't familiar with them before this album, but Halsey, Halsey, Halsey. So they did an album with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And I mean, those are the magic words. If you tell me that Trent Reznor was a part of something, I will go to it. Um, and so the the song from that album would be I Am Not a Woman, I'm a God. That would be my final girl song. It's pretty dope. And it, it's I don't know who they are. I don't know what their music is usually like, but all I hear is Trent Reznor and that makes me happy. So I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love that. Well, I'll definitely add that to the playlist. Uh, yeah. So like what's going on in the movie when that's happening? happening? Oh my goodness. Um, so there, there's too many options, but it's definitely, you could definitely make a case for walking away from an explosion with that, with that song. Absolutely. And just being just completely, uninvested in the explosion behind you (laughs) love that energy all right well thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today oh thank you for having me where can people find you online you can find me unsurprisingly um you can find me on twitter and it's the same handle for instagram but i always warn people like if i mean the me that you heard talking in the way that I'm just like myself is actually on Twitter. So it's at BC Morrow, which is B-C-M-O-R-R-O-W. And then I also have a website, BethanyCMorrow.com, which is just an easy place to look at my book covers and click them and buy them. Um, and yeah, that's that's the easiest and most reliable places, honestly, Twitter. Like I said again, thank you so much for coming on. And for listeners, Cherish Vera is available now. So go out and get it. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash books in the freezer. Or you can send us an email at books in the freezer at gmail.com. And we are also on TikTok at Books in the Freezer. I know the episode is a little on the shorter side this week. I still think we had some really good conversations. And uh, yeah, Bethany had like another interview lined up like immediately after she was done with this one. So I did not want her to be late for that. But like I said, I still think we managed to have some good conversations. If you are new here, I would say usual episodes are not author interviews, though I do like to do uh, author interviews here and there. The usual setup for an episode is that a guest and I will recommend horror books within a category or subgenre and rate them on a scariness scale, I would say is the usual setup. And then we have kind of different, fun, other themed episodes along the way. Um, But if you listened and you would like to support the podcast, there are a few ways to do that. One of them is to become a Patreon supporter on patreon.com at patreon.com slash books in the freezer. There's a one, three and a $5 level. 
all kinds of perks like new episodes, Foxer group chats, movie nights. We just did one. We watched uh, The Taking of Deborah Logan, which if you haven't seen it is an experience. It is a movie (laughs) in a good way. I feel like I say that when I'm like, I don't know how to feel about it. I genuinely like it, but it is a wild ride. Uh, I do love found footage, so I think I was just primed to enjoy it. Anyway, getting real sidetracked on that. So we do those. Um, There's also like bonus episodes and Patreon just released an option to do like annual support so you can do like a one-time payment to support for the whole year. And I think you do get a discount on that if you decide to do like a one-time annual payment versus monthly payments. So if that sounds interesting to you at all, you can go to patreon.com slash books in the freezer. There is also an Amazon link that is in the show notes that takes you to Amazon. You just do whatever normal shopping you would normally do. And a small percentage of that goes to help the podcast. If you're thinking that you would like to show your support for the show, uh, but without spending any money, you can totally do that. There's a lot of ways to do that. Honestly, just talking about the show, posting about it on social media is a big help to small indie shows like this one. Like we mainly grow by word of mouth. Word of mouth is our our big tool to help us grow. So just know anytime you post about it or tell a friend about us, it's huge. And also leaving reviews, leaving a review on a site like Apple Podcasts or like Spotify has recently opened up like a ratings and review feature um, that lets you give a star rating to podcasts. So either of those big helps. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N or on Instagram at that's what she read. And that is that's with two A's. So thank you for listening and see you next time on Books in the Freezer. Thank you.